This episode discusses mental health conditions, suicide, and substance misuse. As always, please listen at your discretion. If you or a loved one need support, you can call or text 988 and connect with a trained counselor. Hi, I'm Calvin Pugh, and this is HIV Connect, a podcast from the International Association of Providers of AIDS Care, or IAPAC, that brings into focus what living with HIV looks like today. In each episode, I connect with clinicians, experts, and community leaders in conversations about clinical and psychosocial management issues, such as aging, stigma, and sexual health topics that matter to people living with HIV. This week's episode is all about mental health for people living with HIV, and I'm joined by Dr. Remian, who's a professor of clinical medical psychology and director of the HIV Center for Clinical and Behavioral Studies at the Department of Psychiatry at Columbia University, an area leader of the Division of Gender, Sexuality, and Health at the New York State Psychiatric Institute. As a researcher and clinician, Dr. Remian has considerable expertise in the development and implementation of interventions designed to improve HIV care and mental health and reduce sexual risk among vulnerable and disadvantaged populations. Dr. Remian has conducted behavioral research at the HIV Center for over 35 years and has been involved in HIV volunteer work, clinical work, and community mobilization and advocacy since the early 1980s. And Heather O'Connor, who is a woman, wife, and mother living with HIV, diagnosed in 2016. She currently serves as a communications specialist for Ribbon, a nonprofit organization that supports service providers and individuals to help facilitate positive experiences and healthy outcomes within public health systems. Heather is also the program coordinator for the Reunion Project, the National Alliance for Long-Term Survivors of HIV. Heather is a community advisory board member for the Well Project and also sits on the perinatal guideline panel. Heather is the founder of the Milky Movement Plus, a supportive network for mothers and birthing parents with an interest in breast and chest feeding. In recent years, there's been increasing awareness of the important role mental health plays in our lives, as illustrated by the inclusion of mental health as a priority in the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. Depression is one of the leading causes of disability, and suicide is the fourth leading cause of death among 15 to 29-year-olds in the United States. The COVID-19 pandemic only served to exacerbate mental health conditions, including among people living with HIV. Additionally, though, people living with mental health conditions often experience discrimination and stigma that pose barriers to accessing and utilizing evidence-based mental health interventions, both cognitive and therapeutic. In this episode of HIV Connect, we will explore the critical role of mental health in the lives of people living with HIV. Thank you both for joining me. So how do you both define mental health? And Dr. Roman, can you provide both your personal and your professional definitions? Well, yeah. I mean, look, essentially mental health is we're talking about, you know, one's emotional, psychological, and sort of social well-being. Our mental health affects how we how we act, how we feel, and ultimately it will influence or affect how we handle stress and the kind of choices we make in, in our living, in our lives. 
you know, I, I think it has a lot to do with uh, one's ability to cope with day-to-day activities and happenings um, in a way that is healthy and in a way that is not detrimental to someone's health. And, you know, there's a difference between good stress and bad stress, you know, stress being a motivating factor that helps you to get through the day, but then there's bad stress that can break you down, you know, mentally, emotionally, and physically. So, think that, you know, healthy balance of being able to just make good decisions for yourself and look out for yourself um, and really know yourself. I think that's, that's so important. So what are some of the most common mental health related issues among people living with HIV? And why is there such a high burden of mental health conditions? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it's a combination of factors. Uh, the most common that we see, at least what the literature you know tells us about um, both people living with HIV, but also those at risk for acquiring HIV, include uh, mood disorders, particularly depression, but also anxiety, and then also um, post-stress-related disorders, including post-traumatic stress disorder itself, but even that kind of symptomatology. And I think it's a combination of factors in terms of why it's so prevalent in this population. I think more broadly, beyond HIV, I think people who have mental health backgrounds or, or issues in their life, and remember, mental health can be influenced by, by biology, by family history, but also by life conditions and, and traumatic experiences, so that anyone who has that in their background is probably more vulnerable to um, various health conditions. And then vice versa, health conditions can influence or bring on mental health conditions. So those are the kinds of things that we we tend to look at in this population. And of course, because we're talking about behaviors, there are issues around, um, for some people, also to include in mental health, use of some substances, including alcohol and other substances. Heather, for you and in your work, you've been really open about your mental health. Could you share some of your experiences? Yeah, absolutely. I think that mental health for me has been an issue for my entire life, but I don't think it was really brought to the forefront until I was diagnosed with HIV. That was the first time that I was ever put on an antidepressant. You know, I it was an extremely traumatic experience getting an HIV diagnosis and it was really hard to shake that and to, you know, continue living my life in in a way that I was doing before it completely changed everything for me. Yeah, so I ended up starting on antidepressants which actually didn't sit well with me because the HIV medication that I was taking at the time had a component in it which elevated the levels of drugs in my body. Um and so I kept feeling just out of sorts. I was depressed. I didn't want to get out of bed. I didn't want to eat. I didn't even want to sleep. You know, I didn't want to do any daily activities that I normally would have wanted to do. And so as a response, my doctor kept upping the dose of my medication. And what was really happening was there was an interaction between the antidepressant that I was taking and my um, HIV medication, which made me very sick. I presented with other issues as well as, you know, nausea and, and worsening depression. It just wasn't getting better for me. 
so that was a big issue for me. And I ended up uh, starting therapy at that point pretty regularly when I could. You know, insurance doesn't regularly cover that. It's not very accessible. So I did what I could. I went for a mental health evaluation after having my son. He's two. So two years ago, and I actually left the appointment with a diagnosis of bipolar disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, depression, and uh, moderate alcohol uh, substance abuse or addiction. And so those are things that I have juggled in my life, tried to figure out. I'm on medication for the bipolar disorder. I'm on medication for depression. I've tried various medications. I've been on almost everything and, you know, had some really negative outcomes with a lot of them. But I finally feel like I do have a regimen which allows for me to be pretty consistent throughout the day. My biggest issue is my mood swings and my inability to be able to process things. When something happens to me that is considered stressful to me, I just have a huge change in in my mood and I become just engulfed in all of these feelings of negativity and panic almost. And then my thoughts get very obsessive, very repetitive, and it's like a trap for me. It's really debilitating for me. Um, it's It makes work hard. It makes daily life hard. It makes relationships hard. But I, I just try every day to find ways to just, you know, utilize breathing, just being present in the moment and, you know, whatever meditation looks like in that day, you know, it's not necessarily sitting down and and taking some quiet time. I have two young children and a full-time job, so that doesn't happen too often. But yeah, I've really struggled. I've really struggled, but um, I'm on an upswing, I think. So, yeah. And I think it's so courageous that you've been so open about that. I know sometimes we get tired of being called brave and courageous, but I think, you know, it really struck me when, when I was reading your writing. It was so powerful. Yeah, I also appreciate you sharing your story like that and, and the details. And among other things, I mean, you're pointing out a lot of things, but among other things, I think you're pointing to what people should realize and understand is this interaction interplay of kind of biological and what we think of as psychological factors, right? So environmental happenings in our life, life experiences can trigger mental health consequences. But there's also an interplay of biology. And you, you talked about the medication. And so for people to understand that, that psychological conditions have both biological and sort of environmental substrates to them, right? And there's an interplay and interaction of each affecting the other in both directions of what's going on in our life and the stress and the trauma we experience but also what's the underlying biological conditions. And that comes, as you talked about, comes into play when we're talking about treatment and, and interactions, for instance, of, of medications and things like that. Dr. Rumi, and, and, and maybe Heather can speak to more of your personal experience, but what are some of the major barriers people living with HIV face in fully engaging in their care if they're also living with mental health conditions? Oh, boy, it's such a great question, because I think there are so many barriers, you know, in our country and, well, really across the globe, right? There's a lack of parity, a lack of, I think, generally, of equal attention to mental health as there is to physical health. You know, and it's so ironic. I always say, you know, the brain is, is part of the body, right? The brain and body are one. The mind and body are one. And they're treated in a siloed nature. And then the mental health 
conditions are treated somewhat separately and feeling like, you know, a primary care doctor or a nurse doesn't want to take care of mental health, that you have to go someplace else. So our structures set up barriers, right? And then there's also, unfortunately, there's stigma related to mental health and even talking about it. And then we have HIV stigma. We have stigma with racial identity or gender or sexual orientation identity. Um, so these intersecting stigmas get in the way. I think the lack of resources and care for mental health conditions and the lack of routine even checking in on one's well-being. I'm always advocating when it comes to like primary care, all of primary care, but especially HIV primary care. You know, doctor wants to know CD4 count and viral load and things like that for people living with HIV. Well, just as routinely as that, normalizing and routinely checking in on their well-being and their mental health and making that something that, you know, we ask everyone is, is how are you doing in your life and, you know, your mood, your cognition and all of that. So moving towards routinizing it because it's a barrier that we treat it differently. I totally agree with that. And I also want to point out that someone who is in the middle of a mental health crisis is not likely to reach out for help. You know, so that's also something to consider. And um, I mean, it was very stigmatizing to be diagnosed with HIV. It took me a long time to come to terms with it. I work in the HIV field. I live with HIV. It's in my face constantly. And sometimes like I want I want space away from it. But it's my reality. And I've been able to find a way for HIV to live with me and to, you know, put up with me and my life and my choices. Um, and so being hit with that bipolar diagnosis on top of that, that was extremely stigmatizing for me as well. But I also live with a lot of privilege being a white woman in the South. Oftentimes when I share my story of being diagnosed with HIV, I get the same response like, oh my God, you're so, you know, like you're saying, Calvin, you're so brave. You're so mm -hmm. courageous. Um, Mm -hmm. That's so awful that that happened to you. But you look at, you know, a woman of color or someone of a different gender identity and, it, and it's almost like, well, what did you do? What did you do? You know, I've heard that before. And, and I sit in a place of a lot of privilege, you know, and I, I just speak to that as often as I can, because I try my best to utilize that privilege to speak up and to um, acknowledge that in spaces like this, where we're having these conversations, because mental health access is not as easily accessible for other people as it is for me as a white woman. That's very true. I think something for all of us to, you know, really ponder. I'm with you in the, the courage and the brave comments. They get a little tiring after a while. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you and I have a significant amount of privilege being a white person in this world. And, and things are certainly often more accessible for us. Yeah. So we've talked about, Heather, some of, of the traumatic moments for you. And I think it's really important to ponder what are the effects of traumatic situations, you know, persistent stigma even the aftermath of the COVID-19 pandemic on mental health conditions and people living with HIV. Yeah, it's huge. Um, I mean, a diagnosis in itself, just learning to live with you know, HIV, there are things that you must do. You must take your medication every single day, you know, to get and stay undetectable, to keep yourself healthy, eat healthy. The pandemic was absolutely huge. Personally, for myself, I lost my job during that time. 
um, I was doing in-home ABA therapy for children living with autism. And you can't go into someone's home if COVID-19 is, you know, running rampant, you know, everyone's staying inside. And so I had no job. I had no income. And all I had was a credit card that I was maxing out every day because I needed to eat. I needed to feed my kids. I needed all of that. And that just put so much extra stress on me that those feelings and those thoughts and those worries about finances and how I was going to get through day by day and do so in my home. Um, I gave birth during the pandemic as well. That was huge. And so it was a very stressful time. And I didn't have time to really think about my mental health and how I personally was doing. I wasn't checking in with myself. I was very much going through the motions and making sure that my kids were fed and taken care of. And then, you know, there were days where I'm like, did I take my medication, you know, and I'm totally going to be transparent about it as well. I drinking, you know, became a problem for me. That was an issue for me. And something about my journey is I was supported by my provider to breastfeed. Um, and so I breastfed both of my children and I had it completely down to a science, like pumping, having the bottles ready and everything so that I could have my glasses of wine at night. It got to the point where that was like a very obsessive thought for me. And I pondered that throughout the day. When was I going to get to that point when I could exhale? Because that's what it felt like for me. And then I just woke up the next day not feeling feeling well. And so it just started the process all over again. And I was just trying to find a way to find some peace, to find some, you know, centering. And it was very, very, very difficult for me, uh, very isolating. And it seemed hopeless. Yeah. I mean, look, I think the world was was affected by COVID, right? And it was it was stressful. I mean, we, we I think it brought to the attention to, of the world and the press about our mental health and our well-being. But then think about it, you know, Calvin, what you're hearing is, is when there are other co-occurring conditions, right? So I think particularly people living with HIV, a lot of people felt re-traumatized because here's another infectious element out there. And how's that going to interact with my HIV? And, you know, whether it's the trauma of having had an HIV diagnosis or the fear of it being compounded, both physically and again, and psychologically. You know, anyone with another chronic health condition is is extra stressed when it comes to something like a COVID pandemic and um, all the things that Heather referred to in terms of what it can interfere with and daily living and well-being and whether you do or don't have support, including from your, your health care providers, but also from friends and family. The isolation was really compounding everyone's um, mental health and, and challenges. So it's it's all very layered, as we can see. I mean, the world seems like it's on fire these days. The news is bad all, every day. There's just so much happening at once. So I often really do wonder how much stress we can tolerate and still participate in health-seeking behavior. What are your thoughts? That's huge. Um, I think... A large part of the reason why I'm able to cope is my location in the world. I live in Virginia, in the woods, in the middle of nowhere. I'm very isolated. I'm around nature. 
and I'm able to isolate myself from the news when I I choose to, but that's avoidance (laughs) and avoidance isn't necessarily the best coping mechanism. And I understand that and I acknowledge that, but that's my honest, transparent truth is I use avoidance. I use avoidance. I use my distance from people um, and I sort of just close myself off. It's really difficult to be present, to to be current in the news and to find ways to roll with the punches, you know, and to find hope. And having kids is also part of that, too. Like, I want my kids to live in a world where it's safe for them to go to school. I want to be able to feel safe when I send them to school, knowing that they're going to be okay, that they're watched over, that nothing's going to happen. But I mean... The news tells you otherwise, and it's very disheartening, and it's very scary. It's very, very scary. Yeah, you know, and Heather's talking about, you know, coping strategies, right? And as she's pointing out, there are positive and and maybe more positive, more negative coping strategies. And sometimes it's a fine line, you know, something like, you know, going someplace to be on your own can be a positive coping strategy, right? Especially if something like you, the example you gave of being out in nature, um, however, if it veers into too much avoidance and shutting yourself off from the rest of the world, that becomes sort of a more negative coping strategy. You know, someone maybe having a, a glass of wine to chill in the evening, you know, might fall into sort of a, that's their coping strategy that day. But if it becomes an excessive alcohol intake and affect you physically and psychologically. So, you know, I mean, we're talking about mental health, but we're talking about well-being. Right. And so for all of us, and we have to think of it, it's on a spectrum, right? Mental health matters to everyone every day and our well-being from day to day. Sometimes it's just elevated with more intensive conditions. Heather talked about something like a bipolar disorder, you know, diagnosis. And so there are some things that require more intensive professional treatment. But in our daily lives, I think we have to think about how we cope and survive where we get support, how we take care of ourselves, and how we find soothing and rest and relaxation. What comes into play is also how well we sleep or how well we eat or exercise or just basically take care of ourselves, as well as taking care of children and family and people in our lives. So it's balance, I guess, is a word I want to throw into the mix of how we balance all these things. Yeah, I have to echo Heather in the needing to be outside. Last year when the shooting happened in Texas, a friend of mine texted me a few minutes later and said, hey, do you want to go camping? And if you take a good look at me, I look very high maintenance and like I would not spend any time out in the dirt. Uh, However, I said yes, because I I asked, I said, does my phone work there? And, And he said, no, it doesn't. And I was like, I'm in, let's go. And For three days, I was cut off from the news, the doom scrolling, and the perpetual cycle of just negativity. And I came back a whole new person. My family was just shocked that I'd been away from my hairdryer. (laughs) But what are some of the pointers that both of you would give to newly HIV-diagnosed individuals to take proactive care and optimize their mental health? Mm -hmm. I think the first thing that I would say is that you need to give yourself time. You need to give yourself time and you need to establish a safe place for you to be, for you to take that time, because it's not going to be overnight that all of a sudden you own your diagnosis. You are able to 
navigate this life as a person living with HIV because it truly, it changes you. It changes you and, you know, we're so lucky to have the medication that we have nowadays. And, you know, U equals U, if you are undetectable, you're taking your medication, you can't transmit the virus sexually. Like that's huge. That's liberating. But in the moment that you're receiving this diagnosis, that doesn't mean shit. I remember being diagnosed the day I was diagnosed and just being told these medical things that I would have to do as a follow-up. And I wasn't in my body at that point. I was floating somewhere above my body, hearing the sobs of my mother in the background. Like I wasn't there and I wasn't there for a while. You know, I had to force myself to eat. I had to force myself to continue living. There was suicidal ideation. Um, It's rough. It's really, really hard. And so, you know, support system is huge. Even if that person can't directly relate with you, if that person's not living with HIV, just having someone like sit next to you and not say anything, you know, just make sure like, are you eating? Do you want to take a shower? Do you need food? What can I do for you? How can I help you? And the sad part of that is like, not everybody has that. Not everybody has the ability to have a support system to, you know, be in a safe space. Like housing is an issue. Some people don't have a house to go home to. You know, they don't have the ability to get their medication in order to, you know, partake in this journey of becoming undetectable. You know, that's not a reality for them. And so, you know, one of the things that I found so helpful for myself is surrounding myself with other people living with HIV, finding opportunities to just be in the same room with them. Like Calvin, I think the first time that you and I met in person was at Positive Living last year. And that was my first experience of going to a conference and sharing space with other people living with HIV. And it's such this like unspoken bond of just you understand, like you get it. You know, you get it. You get that part of me that so many people will never be able to understand. And that made me feel held and it made me feel safe. And I just felt the love and the support. And so, you know, finding resources like that, like the Well Project was extremely helpful for me and gave me a family and gave me community, gave me an opportunity to blog and share my story. And so finding connections like that, I think, is truly so important. Yeah. yeah, I think, you know, positive living is unique in that way. So positive living is a conference in Florida, but it is run by people living with HIV with only people living with HIV. And there's something very powerful about an unspoken me too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's very, very important. And I think Heather really just touched upon all the right points of advice. You know, my first response would have been similar to yours. You said, you know, to take time. And I thought, you know, first thing is to take a deep breath. You know, and, and give yourself time and give yourself permission to be on an emotional roller coaster because it can feel overwhelming. But I think what you emphasize is so important is, is the support, support around you in whatever way, which doesn't mean you have to go out and pronounce your HIV status to the world. You know, some people think, you know, you, you need to disclose it right away all over the place. No, it's your information. But, you know, you want to find a safe space, as you said, a safe environment, a safe room to start to talk about. And it's very powerful to be with other people living with HIV. That's for sure. I think we all experience that. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I, I think as someone who did very shortly after their diagnosis tell the whole world, I agree with you, Dr. Ramian, that you know, take your time. Yeah. Not everyone has to be an advocate from five seconds in. Exactly. You can take the time and heal yourself because the best version of anyone's when they're when they're healing. So why do you think the topic of mental and consequently seeking services is so stigmatized? And what can we do to reduce that stigma? Wow, that's a loaded question. Because <laughs> um, just as you were saying, like, you don't have to disclose your status five minutes after being diagnosed. I feel like when I was diagnosed with HIV as time passed, I reached a point where I decided that I couldn't live with this virus unless I was open about it. Like I needed mm-hmm. to live in my full authentic self. Um I have a background in dance. I trained as a dancer my whole life and like went to school for that. And so I made a video, like a movement video of me moving to, um, you know, some music. And then I wrote like a long explanation, disclosing my status on um, social media. And for me, when I received my bipolar diagnosis, I had that same reaction. I just needed to get it out. I just needed mm-hmm. to like let people know. And like, maybe that's part of my own insecurity that I felt like I couldn't live with it in a way that I was confident because I was keeping something from the world. I don't know. It might be a character flaw of my own, but that's just what my experience was. But especially living with HIV, receiving a mental health diagnosis on top of living with HIV, it can make you feel like you're broken, like something's wrong with you. You know, you're like, damn, I just got, you know, over this HIV diagnosis. And now someone's telling me like, I'm living with bipolar disorder. Like, how do I navigate that? I didn't even know anything about it at the time. I think I also surrounded myself with people living with bipolar disorder. That was my response. I found support groups. I shared my story. Um, I listened to other people's experiences and it made me feel not so alone. And I'm lucky enough to have the technology to be able to do that. So I think that's how we combat the stigma is by creating community and really uplifting the individuals who choose to share their stories and their experiences and celebrating that and celebrating each individual's journey into finding their true authentic self and living within their truth. And, you know, because life's hard, man, like life's hard without living with HIV, without living with a mental health diagnosis, but navigating these things within it all makes it even more difficult. Um, But aligning with other human beings who have the same experiences with you can make you feel like, okay, someone's there. Someone is that unspoken me too. Yeah. I think that's the theme of it. I think it's that unspoken Mm -hmm. me too is what we want to get to. Yeah. I think that's part of normalizing and overcoming the stigma, right? And with your question, Calvin, it's, you know, it's telling one story and sharing one story in their own way, in their own time. And everyone's different, you know, and you have a wonderful example, Heather, of doing the dance and going, you know, that was you, that was your style, your way of expressing. Everyone will have their own way of expressing in their own time. But also, I think the more we talk about all of these things, that I think that can contribute to destigmatizing, be it a mental health condition, an HIV diagnosis, or any other, any other illness that someone's coping with, is finding, finding other people and talking about it. 
we all have our vulnerabilities. We all have things going on. We all have shit going on in our lives. And, and I think normalizing being able to say, you know, I'm in trouble. I'm struggling. I could use a little bit of extra help right now. The more we can normalize that. I don't know where this notion ever came that we're all supposed to be, you know, strong and not have any problems and fix it on our own and don't complain. Well, you know, <laughs> we all got to go through stuff. And, and the more we can share and talk and support each other, I think the better the world will be. So finally, what are your thoughts regarding advocacy for the human right to the highest attainable standard of mental health? Well, I just want to say that it's extremely inaccessible at the moment. You know, I personally was going to therapy regularly, weekly, via telehealth because I had met my deductible for my insurance because I had oral surgery that year. So I was, you know, in my routine, I was good. I was going to my therapy sessions. I was figuring stuff out for myself. And then the year started over and I had three sessions. And during the third session, my therapist said, I'm so sorry to tell you this, but your insurance started over. So your deductible started over and you owe me $500. (laughs) So I'm like, well, I need a therapy session to like go through this to like, you know, (laughs) you know, so it's, it's really hard. It's hard finding resources. So I guess it's just like inquiring about them speaking up and like saying like, this is bullshit. Like we shouldn't have the right to be able to be mentally well, you know, and we should be able to obtain those resources in a way that, you know, doesn't make us feel stigmatized, doesn't make us feel weak, doesn't make us feel like we're broken, you know, in a way that I need help. And so I'm going to find help today because I'm having a mental health crisis. You know, and there's there's hotlines that you can call. There are things that you can do. But I really do think that a lot of uh, maintaining your mental health is by establishing a routine. And some of those things are just out of reach. You know, therapy is out of reach for a lot of people. So inquiring with other people who, you know, live in similar ways as you have similar needs as you and find out what they're doing. Like maybe they know of a free service. That's what I did. I mean, you know, we're talking about living in our authentic self. I went on Facebook and said, like, I need a therapist now. How do I do that? You know, and people answered me and they gave me some resources, which, you know, helped me in that moment. I really did. I did need that. And so when you're in a place where you don't really feel like you have the safety or you have an environment where you can be that vulnerable, it can be very challenging because then you have to navigate the system by yourself. And the system is is messed up, man. It's messed up. So keep bitching about it <laughs> and, and talking about it and having conversations like this and just advocating, speaking up, letting people know. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. I think it was so well said because our system is messed up. But I think in every space we're in, you know, and I would say to anyone listening to this, you know, we all need to be advocates for that right to mental health. Just like we say, you know, healthcare is a right. Let's let's in our minds and in our verbiage, let's include mental health care in that. I think we have to all be advocates and fight for it each in our own way. We all can't do it all. But, you know, advocating at the policy level um, in, in politics, I think even with our representatives, I mean, Congress has say about some of this our health departments, but also, as Heather's saying, you know, not be afraid to reach out because there are resources out there. Let's face it, we're, people will struggle to get 
the best mental health care they can. But let's get, you know, whatever mental health care is available, whatever resources are available and, um, you know, ask and, and not be afraid to. The more we can normalize that we all need it, I think is important. But again, what, whatever space we're in, let's all try and be advocates for this. I couldn't agree more. I want to thank my guests, Heather O'Connor and Dr. Robert Ramian, for joining me today on this important topic. It's important that we take care of ourselves. If we're duly diagnosed, whether you've been living with HIV for a long time, it's important that we find ways to take care of ourselves and especially our mental health with everything going on in the world. And as important it is to take care of ourselves, if you or someone else you know are in crisis, you can call or text 988 and you can reach a crisis hotline to help you. HIV Connect is made possible through educational grants from Gilead Sciences and Merkin Company, which has no influence over the podcast series topics, content, or speaker selection. To learn more about today's topics and other subjects, visit AIDSinfoNet at www.iapac.org backslash support backslash AIDS infonet or click the link in the show notes. As IAPAC Senior Advisor on Community Engagement, I want to hear from you. You can email me at kpugh at iapac.org. You can also find out more about today's guests in our show notes. Until next time, please be kind and take care of yourself and each other.